1: The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the
2: Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their Elders past and present. Good
0: plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Big There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side. Houghton. She was surrounded!
2: Welcome to The Outer Sanctum for another episode of The Fifth Quarter. I am your host, Kate Sear, and this week I am joined by the newly crowned Melbourneian of the Year. She is, of course, Peggy O'Neill AO. She's the president of the Richmond Football Club. She's just been announced as the next chancellor of RMIT University, but most of all, she's a dear friend of the pod. Peggy, welcome to The Outer Sanctum.
1: Thank you, Kate. It's good to be with you again.
2: Yeah, it's been a, it's been such a long time since we've had you on, and and even longer since I've seen you. How have you been the last two years?
1: <laughs> oh, it has been two years, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've been fine. I've been sort of um, just taking each day as it comes, like most of the rest of Victoria. Um, uh, along the way, though, I had a highlight. I my wonderful team won the 2020 Premiership, so that was a uh, a big bit of excitement in a pretty bleak landscape by the time we got to October 2020. But uh, but I can't overlook that. It was a really bright spot and for me and for a lot of other people. I didn't get to go to the grand final, but um, I watched it. And um, you might recall that Amazon was doing a Film about uh, following us for the season. I was filmed watching the grand final. All I kept thinking was, I hope we don't lose. <laughs> it's bad enough um, to uh, to lose under any circumstances, but to be filmed when that happens could have been um, a really disappointing display on my part that um, <laughs> that didn't occur. So, so I've been fine. I've been healthy. I've had tons of work to do. I've been one of the fortunate people um, that um, was able to get on with most of their life, Minus, minus football, and minus seeing friends and things like, um, like you.
2: Yes, and and huge congratulations on that flag, Peggy Richmond. Have just been amazing under your leadership, and it's really, um, yeah, been a been an incredible era for for Tigers fans. Looking back over the last couple of years, as you know, COVID has just wrought havoc on the sporting landscape. But I wonder if there are positives that have come out of COVID for for footy.
1: My job, while all of us sort of had to scramble, um, we have such a great management team with Brendan Gale and his exec that um, uh, I, I must say the heavy lifting was done by those who have the day-to-day responsibility. We found that a lot of things we always did or they were traditional to do, or we couldn't possibly play games any, unless we had our six or seven day break uh, and we couldn't travel and play. and. And so from a football scheduling standpoint, I think we found out that um, you didn't really need those kinds of always has to be. And so I think that's one of the positives is if, if there's a will, there's a way. And if we have to and the work that people did to keep the season alive. Uh, <laughs> and I don't mean to be facetious about this, but I think that there was a lot of hygiene things that came out of it, <laughs> and that now it's you don't have to apologize if you want to wash your hands all the time, or if you want to keep your distance, or if you think wearing a mask is a pretty good idea. Um, I think that a lot of times is in sporting clubs, uh, you would say, "Oh, this um, somebody has gastro," it's going to, you know, we have to isolate them. I think, well, if we washed our hands more often, if we did these things, we probably wouldn't have to worry about those minor, what were relatively minor illnesses. Um, So I know once in the competition committee, someone said, is there anything that we need to keep? And I said, hygiene, (laughs) need people to be cleaner.
2: You mentioned Brendan Gale there, who's obviously been an incredible asset to the Tigers. And in the last few days, we've seen that he's been reappointed. Uh So if I have my, if I've calculated things correctly, you'll finish up as president in the next couple of years, Peggy. And
1: i got one more season. This one time next season. year I'll be about, I'll be finished, yeah. Tell
2: uh, our listeners, particularly our Tigers fans, how you feel about the prospects of the Tigers, both the men's and the women's team, which we, we must not forget, of course, mm-hmm. over the next few years.
1: Uh, well, maybe first I'll just talk a bit about the leadership of the club and the succession because there were a number of us who sort of came together at the same time. You know, Brendan and Damien Hardwick were hired in the same month and, uh, and Damien's contract's been extended. Trent Cochin became captain about the same time. And as we know, Trent has stepped down as captain. Uh, right now, they're going through the uh, process with the men's team about identifying the next captain, which probably won't be announced till late February or March. And then Brendan, um, who uh, often is, people keep telling me that he's leaving and i keep thinking i say i don't think so we've worked together a long time i think i would know is uh is his contract finished finished just in october and and we had had conversations through the year and and he was very keen to stay on and uh we had a board committee that worked through detail and then he and i finalized it and so that's all in place uh, but I uh, agree you need change, but you also need sort of more controlled change, especially in that area where there's a lot of just corporate history and there's a lot of club history. And uh, And right now we have a couple of, a really big project, probably the biggest project in, oh, I guess the last 30 or 40 years for the club, which is the redevelopment of Punt Road Oval, which is moving along at a pretty good rate. But, um, But I think Brendan sees that as a legacy project and wants to be involved to see that through. So I I do think that continuity uh, of some of the leadership with new leadership coming in and um, the board starting to work through uh, what we're going to talk about at the board meeting tomorrow, and then we'll probably get um, sort of down into exactly what we're going to do to replace me. And that person will come from the current board and we have some great directors. So I don't think there's, any worry there, but um, um, what do I think about um, the future? I think it looks bright for the women and the men. Uh, I think our women's teams really going to take a big step this year, and we announced our leadership group for the women. and Katie Brennan's going to be our captain again. Sarah Hosking and then Harriet Cordner's come in, and it's wonderful to have um, Harriet with us. And um, who knew she was going to be so good in the back line, but she is. <laughs> um, so we made a few steps. This is our third season. And last year we you know, won our first game, and then we won a couple more games after that. And um, so I've uh, heard from um, all three of them, and they're all very excited and think there's something good that's going to happen this year. And Monique Conti is going to have a full preseason. So I, you can tell I'm excited about it. I can't wait for them to play. I was, um, like everybody, probably – a bit disappointed, but understood why things were postponed till January, thinking give us every chance that the fixture we could um, play in all the states. And, uh, but I don't know that that's going to happen this time. Uh, the men, um, everybody always asks me, so I'll start with that. Um, Dustin's in training. <laughs> uh, it was a terrible injury and he was very, very ill, um, but he's quite excited. I've um, heard from a couple of the the players Um, Since I've won this award, they've sent me messages and and they're excited about 2022 as well. Um, So I I think there's plenty to be optimistic about. And what I'm most optimistic about is that we can buy tickets and maybe go to games. (laughs) Um, Wouldn't that be a novelty? (laughs) It would be. It would be. And I think that's sort of... uh, it's fun to watch your team win on television when you're winning, but it's really fun to be with a crowd of like-minded spectators and um, get to sing the song or get to commiserate.
2: I want to ask you a bit about this award you've won. Congratulations again on be- being awarded the Melburnian of the Year. Now, you were, you were acknowledged for a few things, and I want to start, first of all, with your role uh, promoting women in leadership is this something that you were passionate about in the past or did you sort of fall into the role that many of us know you play as a mentor to other women and a, and a real role model for women leaders?
1: I, I I guess I've always thought that there was no reason why women couldn't do things. It sounds pretty primitive to even say it that way because, of course, you go, of course, that's the case. But, um, but the more that I... Even now, I find people saying, well, you're the first or you're the first this or that. And I think I'm really pretty tired of that. Um, And somebody has to be the first. And if it's me, I'm really happy. But I would have hoped that by now we would have lots of people that would have crossed that threshold and been first well before we get to 2022 and we're still having women do things for the first time. But women leadership, I I guess it, it was how much I... Like equality, equality for women, equality for everybody who wants to uh, participate and contribute, and um, and why should they be stopped because of these uh, characteristics that you're born with? So I, I guess in a way it goes back to a bit of social justice for me, and it was Hillary Clinton that said that you know women's rights are human rights, and and I think that's all. That's for everybody. It's for everybody. Is the ability to think i have some skills and i want to help and there ought to be a way for me to do that Um, so sometimes you are aware that you're the only one that a lot of women's opportunities in the future might be influenced by how people around that table or in that commercial business how they regard you as unfair as that might be so i think early on i was particularly aware of um, how you behave and perhaps wanting to be acceptable to everyone because if you weren't it wasn't just about you it was about a a population that suddenly you represented and I, i would expect that that many listeners have heard oh well we'll get a woman on the board and she can tell us about retail she could tell us about, and it's like, no, the variety of women are as great as the variety of, of men or anything, but somehow it was a very narrow perception of what women would bring, and and uh, I think over time that's starting to fall by the wayside, but I'm sure somewhere out there it's still alive, and I just haven't, it hasn't been something that's crossed my path yet, but, uh, but fortunately, uh, most of the uh, causes, or organizations that I've wanted to be involved with have been very much um, a fling open the doors and anybody who wants to help couldn't come through. But, um, but I think that getting women into leadership roles is a, is a good first step. And I think women in leadership roles, more often than not, in my experience, help people of all kinds come through after that. That um, And and someone had said to me, oh, but the women part is the easy part to solve. And I said, well, let's solve that first then. That's the easy part. (laughs) And the other things will just come along even more rapidly because uh, I think that women do appreciate that if they're given an opportunity, they want to create opportunities for others.
2: We now have two others. uh, And, of course, they were the presidents of the clubs that competed in the men's grand final this year what did it mean to you personally to see two other women take up those roles and to see their teams make the grand final?
1: Uh, well, I was I was thrilled because I've known Kate and Kylie uh, for a while. Um, the women on AFL club boards until COVID would get together a couple of times a year for dinner. And so Kate and Kylie have both been on their respective boards for a while. So I'd gotten to know them and and there's so many wonderful women who serve on AFL boards across, not to say that men aren't the one, but it's just incredible to see the group of women and on the AFL commission. So in fact, the three of us had dinner back in July. And one of those little periods of, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we can go in and sit down <laughs> yeah. and have a pizza, which is what we did at that time. They didn't know they were going to be in the grand final. And I was still hoping that we would, you know, we'd be in the eight, um, and we just had a delightful time. And um, and I've said before, I I don't really like seeing their teams win, but I was so happy for the two of them. The two of them went to Perth, and they sent me a picture of the two of them together in the stands. Oh, great! And I thought, oh, you were so thoughtful to think about sending that picture to me. And I thought, well, when the game starts, you won't be sitting together. I can tell you that. <laughs>
2: We know selfies uh, being taken together
1: <laughs> yeah, after the first oh, um, I was thrilled for them. And if uh, I wasn't there, but I couldn't pick a team. Um, <laughs> because that I don't want to be any my team next but,
2: question I please. don't want any
1: team but mine to win. I know that's impossible, but I want every team to lose. So I'll just leave it at that.
2: <laughs> You're a woman after my own heart. I feel the same about Hawthorne.
1: I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum.
2: Coming back to the, this award of Melbourneian of the Year, as I said, you were mentioned for your role uh, promoting women in leadership. One thing that I know you were also recognised for was your work to provide stable housing for women and children. And I, I do know that new, there was some research out earlier this year that suggested that more than 9,000 women and children face homelessness each year after leaving a violent partner can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in this work and uh and and why 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 and how you got involved uh, thanks
1: uh there are a couple of organizations i'm involved one is women's housing that's a housing association uh, here in victoria and um they're actually their offices are in cremorne uh near my head you know ten minute walk away uh, but i was asked by um a, a former colleague who came in to chair that, uh, asked me if I would be interested in uh, helping, that they were sort of reformulating the board and he was um, looking for a mix of skills. And, and so I said, well, I'll give it a year, you know, I'll come and help you get through this and, and if I can do anything. And, And then I just loved what they did after I found more, out about about what they did. And one of the things was it's not just there's women in domestic violence which is horrible enough, but you know women coming out of prison, women who are just um, uh, destitute for all sorts of reasons. And one of the, the big concerns is uh, older women who become homeless and and they're the fastest growing segment of poverty. And, uh, you know, whether they've been widowed or divorced or can't get back into the workforce, we need to address that in some way. The idea of being able to buy a house or even rent a place. Or So now we have we um, women's housing have been successful for the last two or three years in getting um uh, some startup money from the government and, and part of Minister Wynne's big build. Uh, we're building quite a few out in Western Victoria because uh, the regions need need support as well. And uh, so we're building new housing and uh, housing and units. And um, uh, the demand is so high that you can never quite match it, but you got to start somewhere. And so it's uh, it's just really rewarding. It's really important. The other organization that I'm—I'm I'm just on their investment advisory committee, but uh, we all know about the big issue. But they have um, uh, a sort of subsidiary uh, business called Homes for Homes. They um, raise money through this innovative um, sort of mechanism, and. Uh, we give grants to organizations like women's housing and others, the ones who actually build. But we um, amass some funds and then have granting rounds in the ACT and then Victoria is where we're starting mostly. But again, it just goes back to alleviating poverty. The number one thing is to find a place to live.
2: It's shameful really in such a wealthy country isn't it Peggy that we have this great need for for women of of all ages and backgrounds but um, I'm I'm personally really touched that you're doing that work I want to just come back to to talking a little bit about women in leadership in my work and and I think in other fields that you've been involved in like in the in the law, I often see a lot of emphasis on the need for women to do extra training, so that they develop a skill set and the kind of necessary qualifications. More courses, more um, short courses, more workshops, and so on, so that they can build up to a point where they might be suitable for leadership roles. And what I want to ask you is, do you think that men and the systems that have often been designed um, by men also need to change? And do you see those changes happening and the emphasis being placed not on women, but on but on men and on systems?
1: Uh, you're right. It's it's kind of curious that um, most of the training needs to be done by one gender and not the other. <laughs> but I also think that it goes back to deciding what you want your leader to be. Do you want your leader to be what has always been? And like the law is what I've had the experience in. Do you want it always to be um, the partner who works in mergers and acquisitions and brings in the most money and, and they somehow end up in management and running the firm or, and it requires a bit of reflection and a bit of change, of, a lot of change of direction, I suppose. But I, I sometimes, you know, when you hear, Oh, well, women need to be more confident. And I always think, well, says who is that, is that what you want is, is and what's confidence it, it just because it's confidence, talking about yourself a lot is confidence drawing attention to your accomplishments is it is confidence just knowing that you do a good job and securing yourself and you don't have to i can do the job and and get on with it so i and lots of times i think women don't have time to go around talking about how good they are at stuff because they're they're good at so many things they have to get on with it and uh, i don't want it to be so black and white that way but my experience was that there was a vision people had about what the leader should look like and that vision didn't change including that it was generally white men i've spoken at a couple of legal firms in recent years and you know a lot of them want to hear about premierships and those sorts of things but i was i was really surprised at one of the last ones i did and they said oh and, and one of the people in the audience um, uh, a guy said. Well, I think we could learn a lot about sport about, from sport about straight talking, about telling people what they do wrong. And and I said, whoa, sport doesn't talk like that anymore. <laughs> you talk about your your strengths. You help people. You don't humiliate people. We that's old. If that's the way that you think you get the best out of your workforce, and so I think there's still this hangover about um, being tough, and uh, about some people can cut it and some can't, and and the ones who, who have made it, surprisingly, all look like the last person who made it. Um, so it takes a bit to, to be brave enough to break out of that mold. And I, I see quite a bit of it happening now, or maybe it's promoted more. I, I think a lot, a lot of people benefit from having someone help them identify things they want to work on, as opposed to being told, we want you to do this uh, because you don't do it the way I do it. I would hope that most of those days are past. I suspect they're not all, but um, but I agree with you that it's it's got to be a bit more driven by the person and what they think they need rather than saying, you know you lack this, this and this. and
2: Peggy, I wonder if there are any lessons from the corporate sector and from your experience for for AFL football and I'm thinking in particular while I'm listening to you talk about the fact that we have lost women coaches from the AFLW that we currently have, all, all, all men, we will have a woman come in um, in 12 months or so. But is that phenomenon about the fact that clubs can't conceptualise anything other than men coaching in those roles, the kind of model that they've seen in the past? And and how do we fix that, if
1: so? Oh, I, I don't know how we <laughs> fix it. It's easy to identify a problem. Um, I think a couple of things, Um and and I there's no science, I have, I have no analysis or, or data that I can rely on. This is more just an impression that um, once things become paid jobs, is usually the men get them or they become interested. And when you start saying, "Well, who has experience to to start my fledgling team?" because we're all fledgling teams is you say, well, there's someone who's had success coaching their own team. They're just, and you can't really deny that. Um, but I think at the same time, how do you fix it is is you have, I, I say, well, is when there's many women coaching men as men coaching women, we will have fixed it. When it's opening, not just for women to coach women, but for women to coach men. And you know, maybe that's a just a pie in the sky sort of thing, but you know why not? In America, there's there are women who are starting to break through in the professional ranks, where there're you know thousands of people who want those jobs, and and they're being identified as the ones who can do it. I, I think also that uh, we do get used to a certain image of what a coach is like, and and that would have to change. But but in fixing it, I think that there needs to be a requirement that you bring along and give experience to women who want coaching as a profession and that that's part of the licensing requirements for women's sport of all kinds. It's just making sure that when you say you have to have experience for the job that we give people a chance to get that experience and then when they go and apply like assistant coaches who move on to senior coaches in the men's game is well, I coached my uh, own team or I was assistant coach at the premiership team. And then suddenly you got a credential and then you can move in. And there's a lot of prep work that needs to go into understanding the game. At You know, AFLW is pretty new and it is a, a high performance elite competition. And just understanding what's expected Uh, especially as the competition grows which I can't wait for for every club to have a team is it's a pretty demanding role and and I'd like to see that pay goes up for the coaches there as well but I think we need to require that uh, every club has uh, a woman who's also assistant coach and gains that experience so then the competition and the pool of people for those jobs gets bigger
2: yeah that would be terrific my final question for you, uh, Peggy, is we, we talked earlier about the fact that you've got about a year left in your presidency at Richmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you imagine staying involved in the sport in any way or are you, you're obviously going on to become the Chancellor at RMIT University? Do you see your time within sport coming to a kind of natural close?
1: Um, I, I do. It's the AGM in 2022, so there'll be December, so 13 months left. Uh, many games to go to as president between now and then. This is my farewell tour starting out. Uh, but uh, uh, no, I, I think that it's time for uh, other people to uh, have fun and get to do this labor of love that's you know rewarded me so much. You never know what's going to happen and uh, you hope that you're there to experience a premiership. I always thought I would never make it to the ground, that I would just have a heart attack on the way. But when it's there... <laughs> You just enjoy the whole thing so um so I will have given seventeen years on the board to Richmond by then uh, and nine years of those as president. so I think that my time is done and I will be a great spectator and I will uh, get to sit there with my beanie on now and and uh, yell and scream and don't have to worry about the camera coming and finding me in the stand <laughs> because I try to stay cool but underneath I'm always just like this um, so I so I think it's it's Time to figure out the next decade and what that might be, but um, but I think that sport as much as it's given to me, um, I just am going to relax into just enjoying it after that and and watch it with a keen eye.
2: Well, we'll definitely have you back on the outer sanctum before you hang up the boots, Peggy, <laughs> and after you hang up the boots, I hope to. Um, congratulations again on being a- announced as the Melbournean of the year and the RMIT University Chancellor. And thanks so much, as always, for coming and joining us on The Outer Sanctum.
1: Well, you're more than welcome. It's good to see you even on a screen. (laughs)
2: Likewise. (laughs) Thanks, Peggy. Bye.